0: Hi, welcome back to The Future Strategist, and I am talking with uh, Greg Cochran. Greg, how are you doing? Oh, not bad. So we haven't done a podcast in a while, but Greg and I did a long series of podcasts warning on COVID, and in fact, in early February, we were warning that it could get very, very bad. This was when the official sources were all saying the flu is more dangerous so uh, we, especially Greg, were, were very much right about COVID, uh, unfortunately, for the world. So uh, today we decided to talk about what we got right, but also what other people got wrong. It's, you know, the official sources really, really messed up on COVID. And that's sort of kind of bad for what they might likely get wrong in future disasters. So Greg, why do you think the official sources got things so wrong on COVID, what generally was going on?
1: Um, Well, I think we should probably specify some of those things, but in general, you know, what mistakes were made. But I'd say in general is one thing, this doesn't happen every day. You don't, I mean, pandemics are not brand new, but they don't happen often. I mean, the last, uh, I mean, the closest in time was probably AIDS, but that was, that was different. That was much slower. That didn't involve, you know, having to try to, uh, do lots of things to spread a respiratory spread. Uh, it was in a, some senses worse, but in other senses, uh, you know, hit a smaller fraction of people. Uh, it, um, you know, it it spread much more slowly. So, you know, it was qualitatively different. And then if you want to find something else similar to this, you have to go back a ways. Uh, Uh, in some ways, the 1918 flu is kind of comparable, although worse. But, you know, with, it's comparable in how bad it is. Uh, there were, I think there was a flu in the 50s that was not as bad as this, but comparable, the 1957 flu. But some of it is just that, uh, people don't live through something. Uh, they don't tend to learn lessons from it. Uh, the fact that it made something similar may be in history, uh, in a book. They don't tend to uh, take that much from it.
0: There's this massive discipline of called public health. You would think they would be preparing for something like this.
1: Well, I think some people were in some senses, but, but uh, you know, it might help if you had you know fired every single person in it, replaced it with two or three people who had some sense. Uh, they public health has never been famous for the sharpest people in the world. I mean. That is, public health as we now know it. I mean, this what I'm saying may be quite untrue for 1900. I so, think part of it may be that some – a lot of the bigger problems in public health have kind of been solved. And that maybe left people who were looking for things to do or – I'm not sure. But uh, uh, anyhow, uh, they had ideas about this, but, you know, very many of them were wrong.
0: Yeah, so – one of their ideas was that you you really can't slow down a respiratory virus with masks and, and travel bans, that that's just not going to work.
1: You know, that one's interesting, and uh, <clears throat> although I think it turned out to be wrong, it, it wasn't utterly crazy. Uh, one of the things is if you go far enough into the past, this statement was much closer to true. Uh, like in 1918, people tried a lot of things to try to – slow its spread and by the way some of them they they kind of work but they didn't work well enough and they didn't work long enough there were places where you could see it had slowed the spread you know doing analysis where people did things like uh you know like there was a town in colorado where they weren't going to let anybody come in but
0: mm-hmm. they
1: didn't keep it up long enough they, they delayed it for like 18 months but then finally it came in and they had a bunch of casualties only a few places uh like um American Samoa managed to completely avoid it. it was it was difficult uh, uh, but you can see there were some effects, but in most places it delayed things rather than uh, stopping them
0: and of course, the big difference is we had the reasonable expectation of being able to get a vaccine within six months to two years while they they didn't have that expectation with the spanish flu
1: well there were there was a number of differences, but Uh, The thing is, you have to look at what the technical means available are and say, under certain circumstances, strategy A may not work and may be sort of hopeless, uh, but in a different set of circumstances, and ours are pretty different, you have to, at the minimum, re-examine it and see if it's possible to work. So, like, what did we do better? 1918, we did not succeed in identifying or culturing the pathogen, okay? By the way, if we had... It probably wouldn't have taken a whole lot longer to make a vaccine then than it did now. People knew how to do that, or there are several ways, and some of those ways existed back then, but they didn't identify it. They didn't. Uh, in fact, they sort of made a wrong. Uh, they identified there was a bacterium, a bacterium that showed up fairly often in some cases, and they mistakenly thought it was that. And part of it was studying viruses, although a little had been done. It was harder back then. You couldn't see them. Uh, we didn't and they didn't have uh, the techniques we have, but uh, uh, any anyway, rate, uh, So uh, you have to look at what the possibilities are. Now, today, what are the positive things? We have uh, genetic techniques, so we could use PCR to quickly develop a test. We could, you know we quickly were able to identify the pathogen, sequence it. <clears throat> once you sequence it, building a PCR test is essentially trivial for everybody except the CDC.
0: Yeah, that's right. For those uh, listeners who don't remember, our, our, our government did not allow the private sector to create tests uh, for COVID because they wanted to do it, and then they took a long time to do it, and then when they did it, it was an error. So they basically uh, told the private sector, don't do something that's really easy for you because we want to do it, and they messed it up. and it was.
1: I, I knew people working in uh, uh, modern genetics who just whipped up one themselves in the lab over the weekend. That's how difficult it was, uh, and used it uh, on their own kids and on some other kids, neighbor kids. I mean, remember, this is a test. This test is qu- quite safe. You, 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 you take a sample, and then you apply the test to the sample. There's zero you, – you don't even touch the kid. So, I mean, there's not even the, uh, the slightest hint well, of presumably a
0: Presumably, you need saliva or blood, but
1: – Oh, yeah, but, you know, yeah, that, that, that's not a big, uh, uh, But at any rate – the CDC did this, and I would say there were two types of errors they made. One is they made a technical error. Uh, you know, these things are strings of, uh, I'm trying to remember, basically DNA. Uh, They're supposed to match with parts of the, uh, of the pathogen's DNA. There is a problem that occasionally happens. Sometimes when you make this long string, it has a tendency to stick to itself and then it ends up looking like a hairpin
2: mm-hmm. you know it
1: looks it closes on itself and then it doesn't do its job there are ways to check for this possibility but for some reason the people in the FDA didn't do that they made one that had this hairpin problem it didn't work time was lost etc uh now but there's in a sense there's two ways they made a mistake one is that whoever was doing this particular preparation made a mistake but if you think of it from a management point of view the right thing to do, well, the right thing to do was probably not limit it to the FDA. But assuming that you did, have at least two separate efforts. It isn't very expensive, but it greatly reduces the chance of something going wrong if you have if you make if you do it twice, so that at least one of them is likely to work. Uh, uh, and also, I mean, this is not something where you have to spend a hundred million dollars on each. It's like you spend you know twenty thousand dollars on each. It's nothing. Uh, So, or, I mean, less probably, but, you know, for the mass production, since they were going to send it out. So it's a a little different than my friend doing it in the lab over the weekend, but not much different.
0: And you would think in a saner world after, was it the FDA or, or CDC who was trying to make this test? Excuse
1: me,
0: it was the CDC. The CDC. You'd think after they messed up in a way that got a lot of media visibility, everyone would have said, okay, these guys are utter morons. We have to make sure they have absolutely no control. We have to ignore whatever they say. Certainly anyone on Twitter who supports the CDC should be banned. But, of course, we didn't. We we did the opposite.
1: That's going too far. One mistake is not although it's a serious mistake it doesn't actually prove that you can't but it, it walk wasn't you gum ever I mean it does prove you're not terribly reliable
0: but it wasn't just they made a mistake it's they forced everyone they forced this mistake on everyone else
1: it's true uh, I mean they but, should have, uh,
0: they should have had a really high degree of confidence in their ability to do this if they weren't letting anyone else do it
1: you'd think so and you know my suggestion of simply doing it twice, would have almost zeroed the probability of failure. But, you know, I don't know why. Maybe they'd never heard of that. Uh, You know, when I think of something like this, although the dollars are much larger, I think of the Manhattan Project, and there were several possible ways to separate the isotopes so that you could make a bomb. And which ones did we pursue? Kind of like all of them. Now, eventually, we found some were better than others, and we concentrated on those, but we did several different approaches at once because we didn't know and so we try to maximize our chance of success the the problem is not just this one mistake the cdc made they made many other mistakes that's and as in fact did the whole uh the profession of epidemiologists made a lot of mistakes and that's that's even more serious
0: one of the biggest mistakes i think they made was not seeing when we did that it was very likely to spread i mean.
1: I'm sure some of them did, but a lot of. uh, I remember reading about a conference. I think this was in January, and uh, they had a bunch of epidemiologists from different countries, mostly from. I think mostly the guys were from Europe and East Asia. There may have been some Americans there too. And um, this, it we now, you know, it had started to happen in China. It wasn't, you know, it something was now known, although certainly not everything. And most of the European epidemiologists in the report I read said, yeah, but I, I just don't think it'll get here. The, in East Asia, now those guys, they had two things going for them. One, which is they had been sensitized by SARS-1. It had happened in, the, in, in China and in places close to – I mean, it happened in Hong Kong, happened in a couple of places. These people had experienced it, <coughs> and they took such things more seriously. Like I said, <coughs> if you live through it, you take it more seriously, and these epidemiologists, like I remember the one from South Korea, he was scared, and he was also mystified at why did the Europeans say, "Well, it won't get there." I mean, after all, you know we have you know planes flying back and forth between China and Europe, and China and everywhere every day. More so back then, why did he think that? And The answer was wishful thinking. Nothing else.
0: Yeah, that just it's mystifying. I mean, you know, this, think about it, an infectious disease that somehow will contain it to china without putting any effort into containing it i well
1: it's chinese ended up putting in effort and one of the things that happened from that is well it's related to one of the errors as i said people's assumption was that it, it can't be done you can't restrict the spread of this kind of respiratory disease uh and as i said if you went back in time that was true but you have to you know Whenever the subject comes up, and maybe even now and then just to keep on your toes, you say, but can that be done now? What's possible? So uh, like England had a plan. It, suppose you had a new uh, influenza virus similar in danger to the 1918 flu. Mm-hmm. They had a plan. Their plan was to give up. <laughs> no, they said in so many words, it can't be done. Uh, it's possible to stop it, and it would be you know, expensive and destructive even to try. So I think they had some ideas for trying to slow it down. This is what's related to some of the talk about we don't want to overwhelm the hospitals too much, but they had a written-up plan for a new nasty strain of influenza in England, and the plan was to, well, we'll just let it infect everybody. Now, the point is, if they hadn't come up with that plan in 1920, it would have probably been realistic. I mean, as the best they could do. Mm Mm-hmm. But since it was 2020, not 1920, you need to at least think a little harder. Uh, as I said, what are some of the things you could do? Well, I mean, we could come up with a, we could have much more likely to, to identify the exact details of the pathogen very rapidly, to develop a test very rapidly. That's good. Uh, another thing, when, when people talk about things like, well, you can't just shut down the economy, you can't stop people from going to work, you can It's different than it was in 1920. A lot of people are doing things today where they could work from home that was not so much true in 1920. You have the internet. You have a lot more of the economy is people doing white collar jobs. So all of those things have changed and you have to think about what's possible. But they didn't. So originally in England, and a lot of places were thinking like this, uh, they said, you know, like the the way they got a plan in England is they took the flu plan and then they did they did a modern thing they did a you know they did a text search and sw- and replaced flu with uh, COVID 19 at every point in the document that's all they didn't change anything they didn't look to see what in what way coronavirus was different more serious less serious hits different populations etc they probably didn't show a single thought in their head
0: <sighs> i mean that is kind of crazy because it all relates to how infectious the disease is and well, you just, I mean, every little step can you take will reduce its spread and you just have to get it low enough
1: well one thing which is actually in the direction of giving up is coronavirus the the version that started out a year ago was more infectious than the flu but but there were several problems uh I mean, part of it was even their ideas about the flu weren't right. What was it? Uh, You know, they talked a lot with coronavirus about how it seemed likely that it would be spread by, you know, touching things, um, fomites on surfaces and stuff. And it looks like if that, like so far, I've been able to find like maybe one case, like one person where this has clearly happened. Uh, It looks like it's a minor part at most of the spread.
0: Yeah, I remember when in the early lockdown phase, I would take packages, I'd put gloves on and put the packages in my basement and leave them there for a while.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, we all did some things like that, but it turns out they were they were underemphasizing the important part and overemphasizing a very minor part of the transmission. And But what makes it funnier is that, well, we thought it was like flu, but it looks like they were wrong about flu as well. And that it, too, is you know, mostly by aerosols and so forth when you breathe, And and at most, a little bit is from touching things. Uh, But this compounded in other ways, uh, lots of strange things here. But but, but one of the important things is it wasn't just the English epidemiologists, most epidemiologists, WHO. A lot of these people, you know, they said, well, all the things you're thinking about to do, none of them will work. They talked – when people talked about things like, well, can we limit spread at the border – uh, they would say things like it 's immoral, and hey, it can 't possibly work, and it would be immoral to try yeah.
0: and a lot of that might have been a response to Trump who you know would build the wall and all that, so they didn 't want to seem like they were on his side.
1: you know it could have been a little of that, but they were saying that before anybody before he ever ran for anything so i there was an article about this in the New York Times back in- end of September, and they were saying uh they're talking about how it's spreading at a ski resort in Austria that was important in Europe. But they said, but it wasn't just, you know, the, the demographic facts, you know, the actual distribution pattern. It was <clears throat> what, the, what the advice was. The people said, like people who worked in global health said, travel and trade restrictions are bad.
0: Yeah, I remember people were saying that it would collapse the economy. Economists were not saying that. We're not under the impression that you'll collapse a global economy if you, you know, ban travel.
1: Um, I think there were a couple of reasons, but the unfortunate thing is, you know, why did they say these things? And there were a couple of reasons, but none of the reasons were good reasons. One was that they they said, you know, like – A common opinion was the virus will always get through, so there's no point. It'll just get through anyhow, and then it'll infect everybody. There's nothing you can do about it, so why bother? That was – and if somebody had said that in 1918, they would have been close to right. Okay, but, you know, there are other possibilities. For example, if you can control it well enough for long enough to get a vaccine, well, then it, it isn't true that everybody has to get it.
0: Of course, Right. Yeah. You know, people were not saying that about AIDS. I mean, I would, the message of AIDS was not, well, look, everyone's going to get it, so don't really worry about protection.
1: No, but – well, you know, that's interesting because at least in a few cases, like Anthony Fauci, we have some of the same players showing up, mm-hmm. and, and they say entirely different wrong things about coronavirus than the wrong things they said about AIDS. So, you know, change is possible. Fauci was one of the guys pushing the idea that there was a big risk to heterosexual Americans. That wasn't true.
0: I remember that. I remember being afraid. Now, of, why did he yeah. say
1: that? Uh, by the way, I followed that thing closely so since I'm apparently a disaster hound of some kind. And also, I'm just curious. So I followed that from the beginning, and I thought that the CDC – I mean, certain parts of it were difficult. I mean, it was more difficult. We didn't have the tools we had today. You know, they hadn't invented PCR. Mm-hmm. Okay, it took longer to identify the pathogen, and uh, – uh, harder to find treatments for it. And a vaccine, nobody has figured out how. It, it's something, you know, vaccines usually work when an infection, when you survive an infection and then become immune. Vaccines are sort of mimicking that natural process. But in AIDS, people didn't get immune. So although people are trying to figure out a way to make it work anyhow, they haven't yet succeeded. That was a, a more difficult problem. That wasn't the CDC's error that made AIDS Difficult to deal with. It was just just plain difficult. But they made errors, and one of them was uh, uh, they were telling lots of people to worry about it who didn't need to, uh, or or rather whose whose worries were extraordinarily small. I mean, extraordinarily small. You know, some you be so somebody says like I knew people, or at least I heard of people who said, well, you know, heterosexual sex is now really risky, and the answer is, well, it was actually always kind of risky because you could get emotionally involved, somebody might get pregnant, somebody's husband might beat the crap out of you. You know, there really are risks associated with heterosexual sex, but AIDS, in the United States situation at least, things were different in Africa, it wasn't particularly true. I mean, you know, qualitative changes happen from a quantitative change in R not. R Not in heterosexual circles in the United States for AIDS was well under one. That means, you know, it wasn't impossible to see a case or two, but it never really spread. Mm-hmm. now in africa it got to be above one qualitative difference but uh when i heard of people saying oh yeah we're all really afraid to fool around now i said you people are easily confused i mean there might be reasons not to be to be careful but they're not the reasons you're mentioning it's mm-hmm. none of it's true uh you know you could you could probably sleep with an entire sorority and never catch it uh, uh the uh it's hard to catch, uh, uh, but um, anyhow, uh, yeah. I mean, found, uh, that didn't seem to hurt Fauci's career any that that he was like wrong a whole lot. I also remember him talking about Ebola about you know six or seven years ago, and he was wrong about that too. Uh, but you know, that's all water under the bridge, or some, or is it uh, these the the tendency of the whole epidemiological community was to think this can't be done but it was it was mixed with other things like there's something wrong in even trying uh, you know, people t- says the idea of restricting movement that was somehow not just impractical like if suppose i had said we could stop uh, uh, a respiratory disease by everybody drinking orange juice okay that probably wouldn't have worked okay but what if people said it's just sort of disgusting to suggest it? No, it wouldn't have bothered anybody. It just wouldn't have worked, right? Okay. But with, you know, travel bans and border controls and anything like quarantine, people attached some, it was like naughty. as And of course, many people say if it's naughty, that means it won't work, which is not true. But, you know, they could say, or they say, well, I don't like it. So I will say it can't be done. That's a, Sort of standard rhetorical technique people say.
0: I wonder if this is related to the sort of academia problem where you have to seem clever. So if you just endorse common sense morality, you know that that's nothing that doesn't signal your intelligence. You have to take counterintuitive positions and defend them intelligently. So I, if you're an epidemiologist I would saying, agree with you
1: I would agree with all of that except the last sentence. Uh, <laughs> I don't see any sign they defend these things intelligently, but there was something like that. Like, again, one of the many errors is they were saying there's no point in doing anything like masks. Masks don't work.
0: Masks but might doctors, make
1: things worse.
0: But doctors have been doctors wearing masks for masks quite work. a while. I remember them saying that masks don't, you know, we need to save the masks for doctors. They work on doctors. They won't work um, for regular people.
2: That,
1: that, is not a no, that is not true. That's not what happened.
0: Okay, what but happened?
1: But it's what Fauci said happened.
0: So what really happened?
1: They really didn't believe they were useful in a general respiratory epidemic. I've seen people saying this for years, several, you know, more than five.
0: Okay, so Fauci they didn't believe it. He, now, when he
1: said it's a noble lie to conserve, you know, he said I, I lied to conserve masks. That was a lie. <laughs> or, or let me be fair. He may not have understood why they were doing it. I have seen Fauci in 2014. We had certain Ebola policies, like it's really important to let free flow of people from night from Liberia. With an mm-hmm. epidemic into the United States, I said, "Why would you want to do that?" Somebody was asking Fauci, and he he just made up something. I mean, partly because you know there was no reason, no logical reason, and he couldn't even think of why. I've seen other people do things like this. Once upon a time, uh, somebody was asking Sarah Palin about Bush's, you know, uh, you know the new foreign policy look, the Bush mm-hmm. Doctrine, and since she didn't read the paper, she'd never heard of it, so she had to make one up. And the one she made up was far more sensible. It was just like what a semi-rational person would guess who had never heard about it at all. It was lots more sensible than it was <laughs> his actual, actual doctrine. Uh, uh, but uh, when Fauci said, we did this to conserve masks, that is not true. These people actually believed it. I had a friend, a friend who was a doctor said, well, of course, you know, masks don't work. And I remember listening to him and I said, I will argue with him another day because I know he's wrong, but I have other things I want to talk to him about. And by the way, like a couple of months later, said, "Well, it's really important. We all have masks." And I didn't call him on it. You have no idea <laughs> how hard that was. Yes. By the way, that he's a friend. And that's. But it was still hard <laughs> not to say the magic, all-powerful words, "I told you so."
0: Okay. And, and now the official policy is wearing two masks. So we've, we've gone from one mask bad to two masks good.
1: I mean, the positive thing about masks are. In terms of real cost to how you live your life and go to work and things like that, they don't have much. I yeah. mean, they're kind of a pain. I mean, I don't enjoy them.
0: You know, but... I'll, there's something you were right about and I was wrong about. you When we were talking earlier, you were saying that Americans would object to wearing masks, and I did not get that. It just struck me as crazy. And, of course, lots of people – Well, it is people... crazy,
1: but it, it was also, it was also but, likely.
0: I, I did not pick that up. I
1: that I just... – I, I, I just probably have more resonance with crazy and stupid people than you do. What can I say? It's a gift. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, or alternatively, I have a slightly more accurate general model of the personality distribution. You pick, uh, but uh, but you know what were the things the professional epidemiologists was just getting wrong? Let's try to nail that. Uh, I could tell you something. There were re- part of this trying to sound sophisticated seems to have been part of the mass thing. They said, well, you you might think that it would help if people were masked, but we who have gone to school way too long and have huge debts uh, know that it actually gets in the way. By the way, they didn't know it. But one of the things, and you would know more about us than me, was they had the idea that even if it made you safer, you would then know you were safer or take more risk and end up, at the end of the day, even more unsafe.
0: Oh, yeah. That's the Pelsman effect where there's evidence that mandatory seatbelt laws will cause drivers to take more chances when driving. Now there doesn't the seatbelt laws still save lives, but they don't save as many lives as if people didn't change their behavior because they're wearing seatbelts.
1: Well I think a lot of people have somehow remembered that as that you actually end up in the hole and that you lose more lives because of overconfidence. And I don't think experimentally that's actually true.
0: No, it's theoretically and, possible, but yeah, oh, I, sure. I don't think
1: uh I mean, for example, if suppose you were a witch doctor who had just told a member of the Lord's Revolutionary Army that your spells had to turn the bullets into water. There, the problem is the spells actually don't turn the bullets into water at all. So there's you're bound to end up in the hole if you believe in it even a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right? Because, you know, they don't turn the bullets, in fact, turn probably turn you into water or something. But uh, uh, at any rate, uh, the point is. I mean, we had all kinds of epidemiologists going on and on. You don't want to wear a mask. Masks are bad. Now, masks hardly make you bulletproof, but they somewhat decrease the chance that you'll catch something, and they somewhat decrease the chance that you'll spread it. And 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 their real cost to in terms of like, do they make it impossible to go to work, etc., is low. I mean, the physical cost of a mask is also low. Okay, yeah. so you know, masks are worth a shot, and even if You know, one of the things you're hoping for is they can, because of doing it, you know, protecting people and reducing transmission, it can be part of a larger strategy that hopes to get the spread controlled. I mean, and but they're a cheap part of the spread. uh, I mean, of the of the mechanisms to uh, try to restrict it.
0: The thing about the anti-mask positions is, is masks are very common in Asia. I mean, people who get colds in Asia are, are expected to wear, at least large parts of Asia, are expected to wear masks yeah. when they go to work or go to school.
1: I mean, there's all kinds of and, weird costs to wearing a mask. I mean, like, you know, people communicate a lot through expression. By right? looking at the expression, you know, how their facial muscles change and so forth. You are limiting that, okay? I mean, it's this. it is making social life less pleasant uh etc I mean, I'm not yeah. saying that any of these things are gonna kill you, but it's natural that people don't like it
2: yeah
1: uh but but acting as if uh you know they're they're a symbol, I said well, you know things are only a symbol if you decide they are, you could also say it's not a symbol, it's just a mask uh it's uh but yeah I mean we got a we got a lot of crazy stuff on this, but you know i would i would kind of want to talk about most of the time the guys who at least should have had some chance of knowing something about this for for example like you know what is the natural amount that politicians would know about this sort of problem the answer is 0 and that's one reason that the outcomes are not fantastically different in a whole lot of western countries because nobody did anything very de- and but also because the advice they were getting was defective but it was defective in similar ways
0: that that makes a lot of sense so western leaders didn't understand anything about what was going on they turned to the same class of people for advice the advice was horrible but they all followed it
1: well they so didn't we all follow outcomes. it but they followed it to some extent there were also lots of people who said if you do this you know lockdown type thing my I'll, my business will fail. I'll, lots of people had real reasons to object to it. It doesn't mean that they were net justified, but they certainly had a real reason for being upset. And there were tremendous. For, I mean, all the hospitality industries, all the restaurants, all the airlines. There's, you know, lots of major industries, lots of people's livelihoods, lots of people's, uh, you know, well, way of making a living was being threatened by a lot by the more severe thing, not by masks mostly, but mm-hmm. by more severe things. I mean, they had they had motives that weren't crazy. They may have been wrong when you balance the deaths against the economy, but they weren't insane because at least you know it wasn't like they were talking about something that didn't exist. Okay, uh, so you know people who said, "Gee, you made me go broke." I mean, that's upsetting. They've got a point. Uh, but uh, but the epidemiologists they tended not to believe that this was possible in some way that was linked to the idea of it being undesirable, although the two statements have absolutely nothing to do with each other.
0: Yeah, Most I mean, people don't think that way.
1: Well, most people are wrong. They
2: I, should get over it.
0: I, I get that. When I talk about the minimum wage in my interim micro class, I mean, you know, we talk about trade-offs, how raising the minimum wage will cause some employers to cut back. So Burger King will hire less workers, and there's some students who just get angry viewer, at the argument. Fewer
1: workers. Ah,
0: so, I'm an economist. <laughs> uh, and the students who just get viscerally angry that the idea that they see, but people need a higher wage. I'm like, I'm not disputing that. I'm just saying there's this trade-off, and it just it's difficult for maybe even most people to accept that the thing I want also comes with things I don't want,
1: or that there's simply an exterior world that works on. On uh, rules that don't look to be ter- you know, very connected to what you think is fair.
0: Yeah. The, the mean, universe like, doesn't care about fairness.
1: It doesn't show much sign of it. Uh, although, if it was really out to get us, it would succeed. Trust me. Uh, I mean, we'd have, a, we'd have a new asteroid hitting the Earth every day. Uh, but, uh, uh, but at any rate, uh, they guys did not believe that this sort of thing was possible. They thought a lot of the measures that you might try were somehow immoral. Now, I don't think the people in East Asia thought that for a couple of reasons. One, some of these measures somewhat similar, but on a smaller scale, because they work better and, you know, they solve the problem. People worked pretty hard to limit the spread of SARS and they succeeded. Now, SARS is somewhat less infectious and also more deadly, but they did succeed. And I think that probably stood up in the minds of people in places like Hong Kong saying, well, yeah, but we did get rid of it. And that's a, a thing like we know that at least sometimes it's possible because we just did it a few years back that we didn't learn
0: that we didn't learn from that it's like a shocking failure of the diversity rationale right the the advantage of diversity is that you're supposed to be able to learn from other people's experiences and obviously there's a massive number of people in the united states especially in academia you know from from asia but somehow we weren't able to translate that the fact that we hadn't personally experienced SARS didn't mean we could it's, like substitute the experience of the Singaporeans or Koreans or...
1: I mean I read about it I took it seriously I used I used it as part of my factual background for understanding this but I do magic things like you know reading the paper I, I don't know what their problem is uh but yes uh, people usually it's a fact people usually don't take things too seriously uh, that they haven't lived through uh um although I mean, I mean but it's probably particularly true for things that just don't happen very often, and even the culture as a whole doesn't have a whole lot of experience with it, uh, but you know, they, but they don't. At any rate, the epidemiologists didn't believe it. Now, one thing, one good thing happened, although it's an interesting good thing. The Chinese did suppress it in China. Like I hear people said, well, yeah, you could do it in an island country. I said, yeah, I, China is the biggest <laughs> island in the world. Uh, yeah. In fact, you could almost think it was part of, a, of the biggest continent in the
0: world. Yeah, the Eurasian uh, island.
1: Yes, uh, but China did do it. And one thing that happened, and I will say it, this is a positive thing. I saw at least three articles by professional epidemiologists who were admitting we knew this couldn't be done. But they just did it, and that means that it can be done. I said I would – assuming I wore gloves, I would be willing to shake the hand of the mm-hmm. epidemiologist who said that because you're suppo- – you know – I I knew there was a reasonable chance you could make such things work anyhow because because the tools change mm-hmm. and they should have already known that but when they but when they at least bother to believe it when it's demonstrated that's pretty good and the only reason we're trying most of the things we're trying in the Western world is because uh, I think a lot of it is because China sh- China and then now it was a lesser challenge in some of these other countries because it didn't get as big first. But, but still a challenge in places like South Korea and uh, Japan, Taiwan. Um, now there were certain sort of what you might call pre-adaptations. Most of those countries, people were already comfortable with wearing masks. That was helpful. Um, they're probably more cooperative with the government. I mean, a lot of people in the Western world aren't. In the United States, most of all, uh, probably. Uh, the, uh, but, but anyhow, other people did succeed. Now, uh, Australia succeeded, New Zealand succeeded. Uh, so several people changed their minds about what was possible when somebody demonstrated it was possible. I think it's interesting, why did the, the Chinese don't show any signs that they ever believed it was impossible? They acted not instantly, but pretty soon and pretty – and one of the other things they knew, which is uh, – uh, this is against the spirit of the United States. It's against the spirit of England. We tend to work by experience. We tend to work by compromise. Okay, and by the way, an awful lot of the time, that's the right way to approach human affairs. Mm-hmm. But it isn't the right way to approach an epidemic. Uh, there was a quote I wanted to to use. Uh, uh, Robert Heinlein in a book was talking about we we're, in a book The Puppet Masters were invaded by hostile aliens that are taking over people, but they also reproduce quite rapidly. Mm -hmm. And the quote was, at the beginning of a forest fire or an epidemic, there's a short time where a minimum of correct action will contain and destroy. What the president needed to do, the old man, his boss, had already figured out. Declare a national emergency. Uh, Excuse me, I have to adjust this here. Fence off the area where the aliens had landed and shoot anybody that tries to slip out. But the point is, you know, like if some people say do nothing and some people say do a whole lot, something similar to China, mm-hmm. splitting the difference is not the right answer.
0: Yeah, we almost had the worst possible outcome where a lot of people, you know, we, we shut down the large parts of the economy. You no, know, I don't think.
1: I, th- I don't think it was the worst, but it was far from the best. For example, like if you simply assume like if we had done nothing at all, mm-hmm. which is close to the British plan, the number of people infected in this country would have been considerably larger. Uh, but you know, like I think we're going to end up with only a third the number of deaths <laughs> we would have had if we'd done nothing. But a third is some. You know, dropping it by two thirds is something. Okay. Yeah. Now, could we have done better? Oh yeah. But we didn't. But it doesn't mean we did nothing.
0: Yeah, Uh, that's true. Although we paid a big price. Well, sure, we did. Uh,
1: And and we could have paid a smaller price, but earlier and more decisively, and Mm. then lost many fewer. Yeah. But, you know, that's what happened. But there's this sense, which is seeing the logical – there was another part of this quote. Uh, He's talking about, you know, his boss – his gift was the ability to reason logically with unfamiliar, hard to believe facts as easily as with the commonplace. He said, Not much, huh? He said, Most minds stall dead when faced with facts that conflict with basic beliefs. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, if I was telling, say, a lawyer, uh, uh, well, it says, It turns out that individual freedom is not actually going to be the main ingredient of the most successful strategy, you know, giving lots of, uh, of, uh, you know, lots of autonomy to the individual to decide what to do. Said That actually isn't the best thing to do in fighting a fast-growing epidemic. By the way, it is a good strategy in probably most of life, but not here. But like suppose I had somebody who was a a real Simon pure libertarian uh, uh, Chicago uh, law professor. He would probably say things that were wrong because all of his his leanings are in the direction against the only thing that works in this case.
0: Yeah, I, I noticed there was a difference, at least on Twitter, between, like, I'm somewhat libertarianish. ish Libertarians who are libertarian because they think it works versus those who are because it's just a pure good. And those of us who are libertarian because it works are, like, recognized, well, there's massive externalities with this. It, it, it's not effective, so we need to... Not worry as well, much about personal freedoms.
1: I mean, since I'm talking about Richard Epstein,
0: yes. <laughs> uh,
1: the, in particular, uh, but it's also exacerbated because the average guy who's a political thinker and so forth is not also somebody who actually knows a lot about the dynamics of epidemics, the histor- history of it. I mean, the fraction of people who knew anything about this was small. Okay? Oh, how much did Epstein know about this? Nothing. Not a thing. Okay? It didn't help. Uh, But, you know, suppose I had somebody who was, say, an opposite kind of lawyer. Don't worry, they didn't know anything about it either. Uh, You know, as a class, uh, you know, I'm sure there were exceptions, but generally, you know, it's not something they teach in law school. This is there's no mystery to this. It's just I mean, the only reason somebody would know something about it is, you know, curiosity and a like a wide set of interest. I mean, or, you know, maybe if they were among the few specialists who this theoretically is their job, and I'm not sure they showed a lot of knowledge, really, uh, and, and we'll be talking about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, uh, so, you know, this is, it is it's a difficult thing because it's an unusual problem. It's also one that takes, the sort of actions are ones that don't feel right to somebody who's, you know, the sort of person who, who who to for whom the common law is a great achievement the common law is a great achievement but it doesn't tell you how to deal with you know these are these are problems are more like the the, the captain of a ship in a storm you don't have time for consultation to be truthful about it you have to really understand stuff to figure out the right thing to do uh, polling the crew is not useful Split, splitting the difference between well we could try to go into harbor or we could try to get out far enough that the uh the waves won't put us onto the coast. I said, you don't want to split the difference. Mm-hmm. Lots of times there are two strategies that at least have some chance, and the average of the two strategies may have zero chance. Uh, so, uh, it's, it's, it's not well suited to a democratic country, truthfully. It, it really isn't. I mean, it doesn't mean that we couldn't spin up to get better at it. Not that we have, but we could. Uh, I mean, that's why we have generals and things. We have special institutions for cases where you know probably sitting around and arguing about it isn't the best way to win mm-hmm. uh, but we don't have working special institutions for this but I, one of the interesting things is the Chinese like you know all the errors that people made that were sort of unforced errors like we don't believe uh, like it's immoral to do X I don't think the Chinese worried about any of those things at all yeah. uh, and also they said other things which maybe they should worry but not in this case, well we, well, we worry a lot about individual liberties. The Chinese said, well, we've never worried a lot about individual liberties ever. We don't really believe in them very much, uh, which is not to say that for all of Chinese history, they were constantly watching everybody with cameras and on every street. But that's probably mostly because there weren't cameras hadn't been invented yet. Uh, I mean, and today, they are. There are a lot of ways in which those things are a disadvantage, but in this particular problem – if you are lucky enough to have people at the top who understand it, which is not a certain thing, the point is you can act more decisively. And I'm sure that the total cost of the Chinese has been lower than it is in the United States' economics, because if you succeed in controlling it, then you get to relax quite a bit.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, almost certainly. So something else the experts got wrong was about the possibility of there being harmful mutations to the virus. They, are, they were claiming that, well, there won't be, or if there are mutations, it'll so the virus better coexists with us and doesn't do as much harm. And of course, that's right now. There's been there's mutations out there that are more infectious and more deadly, and it's the major area of concern going forward. I would say. Yeah,
1: fortunately, the vaccines still seem able to deal with it. But that's an interesting question. And I think there's a sense in which you know there's a sense in which some of this other stuff was kind of a a kind of political thought was discouraging certain kinds of correct thinking about things Mm -hmm. uh, with border controls and stuff. I don't get the same impression about this. It's more just good old fashioned ignorance. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, but, But what it is, is this the basic situation is we have a virus that has only recently jumped to people. It's not super well adapted to people. It's well adapted enough to be a big problem. I mean, it does spread, but that doesn't mean that it has, it's doing as, uh, as well as a virus of this kind could uh, in terms of spreading and so because it's new you expect re- you expect changes that and the changes that uh, I mean every virus mutates but there should be changes that allow greater spread and the reason is because it hasn't been doing this for a thousand years in a thousand years you've probably come pretty close to the best you can get you're at some sort of local optimum not good for us, but you know, the virus is as good as it can be at doing what this virus does.
0: So an analogy is if you take up a new sport, you'll make a lot of improvements over the first few months, but then you'll mostly level off.
1: Yeah. Some, something like that. Uh, uh, and, uh, and, and there are you know, there are mathematical treatments of this you know this is something discussed in population genetics and evolutionary biology there are experiments like this where people have taken bacteria and put them in a slightly different situation than what their you know their normal situation but one they can survive and then because they reproduce rapidly you can watch many generations and watch how they change and the way they change at first they change fairly rapidly Every so often, you get a new strain that that grows better in these circumstances. And then, after a while, they're still improving, but it's slower and slower and slower and slower. The change becomes slow after a while. So, most virologists have worked with fairly well known viruses that have, many of them have been around a long time. Uh, And, you know, measles has been around probably since early, you know, since early days of the Roman Empire or something. You know, a long time, uh, It's and it doesn't change, and, and this has certain good points. It means like if you give somebody a measles vaccine, it continues to work, uh, even with new measles epidemics, because measles is not changing that much. Uh, <clears throat> however, with this, you could expect – uh, also, there's another factor that can make something it, – because it generates more total mutations, some of which will be the ones that allow this greater spread, is if a whole lot of people are infected. Uh, uh, which is uh, – and this is can also be shown in some of these microbial experiments because if you have – you can adjust the number of bacteria that live in this. You mean just make the, the vat bigger or smaller? And evolution, that is adaptive evolution, not just random change, but the sort of changes that make a difference, happens somewhat more rapidly in ones with a large number of bacteria than a small number. And here, since we've had something like 100 million people infected, the chances to get new variants goes up when that happens so the two things and, and, and as, as far as I understand it virologists did not understand either of these things
0: this, these aren't that challenging arguments I mean I'm pretty confident in 10 minutes They're i are not taught explain this to my students who've never it,
1: most know, biologists don't, don't really believe in theory at all and they don't teach it to them they don't teach it to virologists they don't teach it to MDs they don't teach it to most geneticists
0: but you think you could explain it to them in 10 minutes
1: sure that doesn't mean they believe it part of it is these people don't believe in theory i mean as a concept there's it's like if you said theoretically like if you said i can show an airtight logical argument that x will happen they say no you can't for anything pretty much I mean, biologists don't like doctors they don't believe in theories i mean they you know they have fads like you know everything is caused by focal infection or we must remove everybody's tonsils and so forth, but theory in the sense that you have it in stuff like physics, they, 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 they're not, they don't even, it, it doesn't really exist for them. Uh, like I, I can say to a physicist that like here are these two physical properties, one drops exponentially, the other is only dropping as X cubed and he will immediately say the curves must cross and he's right, but you know, I I mean, engineers could be like this, too. I mentioned this on my blog. I was trying to explain the value of theory. I said that suppose you had a very large mirror, uh, as large as you wanted, as large as the Earth, and we were focusing the sun's light to the smallest possible point. I said, and then you put something at that point. Things at that point would not get hotter than the surface of the sun. I said, and people said, well, why not? If you just had a bigger mirror, it wouldn't eventually. I said, because it's the second law of thermodynamics heat does not spontaneously flow flow from a cooler to a hotter thing. They said, well, and I had some engineer who went on and on. Yeah, but if you were just clever, I said, it can't be done. Uh, uh, But he didn't care. He was sure that some clever engineer could figure out a way. And at least, and by the way, I like engineers, but they do things like that. What was the, or the, you know, the old jokes about, uh, uh, you know, how do you determine whether a number is pi, I mean, whether a number is prime, and, uh, you know, the engineer said, well, you know, uh, three, uh, five, seven are prime. All odd numbers are prime. I mean, you know, uh, but, you know, it's kind of a philosophical concept, and a lot of people don't believe in it. By the way, there's a lot of areas in which we don't really have theories, or rather we do, but they're not right. I mean, like if somebody said the fall of the Roman Empire was... Um, inevitable because of theory X. I said, we do not have a validated theory. I mean, maybe somebody will invent one, but we don't have a theory that is both valid and that has that consequence, but but there are. But the point is, there are places we have theories, but they're not generally known. A, a friend of mine who, by the way, has a PhD in molecular biology, by the way, they never taught him any theory either, but he went out and learned it for himself, because he was interested, <coughs> but he ran into somebody who had a Ph.D. in agricultural genetics. Now, agricultural genetics, they do teach you evolutionary theory very often. And she was surprised that he knew because her her default was that outside of her area, no one in biology ever knew any evolutionary theory. And that's generally true. Uh, I mean, um, you know, famous, there are famous people who, like, who ran the Human uh, Genome Project. They didn't know any. And if they did, they, they you know, the, their professed goals were always unlikely to ever exist, and they would have known that, but they didn't know it, and so, you know, they they, they talked about we will find the common variants that cause common diseases, and I said, well, there's unlikely to exist, and for the most part, they in fact did not exist. Uh, but anyhow, back to the virologist. Uh, one of the most interesting parts of it as I saw virologists saying, well, there's no way. Even if you have – suppose like we, we follow what happened in England. A new variant showed up. Now, looking back at it, you could detect that variant when it was like only around a percent. They didn't notice it at the time. But they went back later. when it became, After they noticed it, when it became more common, they looked at older samples. So mm-hmm. like in September, it was around 1%. Today, it's, I don't know, 90 or something. They say, well, but that could just happen by chance. In other words you could have a case where it was at under 1% and we're talking about a lot of cases hundreds of thousands of cases you go from one to one under 1% to the great majority of all cases without having an advantage in transmission and I saw a num I mean so much so that I saw many well-known virologists saying it probably doesn't have an advantage you're just kidding yourself it's terribly unlike you know see not only did they say it's unlikely we'll see any changes that make a real difference. They would deny them when they showed up in front of them.
0: That's just crazy. If you think about exponential growth, I mean, a slight yes, advantage or disadvantage
1: it's, it's also will crazy. Dominate. If you do some simple simulations on what would happen if you assume that this was all random uh, and had they had no general advantage, uh, I did so. I wrote a simulation. It must have been ten lines or something, and I said. Right, here was an example. Suppose you had two strains that had exactly the same transmission. And I started out with uh, 2,000 of 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 the B1 and 5,000 of the A. How often will the, the, the lesser one, uh, the B1, get more common by chance? And out of 100 runs, it happened six times. It was mm-hmm. possible. I said, what if instead of 2,000 to 5,000, it was 20,000 to 50,000? Oh, then it didn't happen at all. Yeah. All right, but here's another one. I said, what if the new variant there's only two thousand copies, and there's fifty thousand copies of the old variant, but the new variant has a slight transmission advantage, five percent. It it became the most common one every single time. You know, a little advantage makes an overwhelming difference, and when you have large numbers, you're not going to have a rare one replace. A common one by sheer chance, but most virologists believed that it could. I saw, and and they were, and when, by the way, the majority of them slowly admitted, well, I guess it must have because it not only was replacing it in England, it was replacing it in Ireland and in Denmark, and at some point their their trained incapacity broke down. They had been taught in school that random effects could make. Something that was fifty times less common just zoop up and become more common, and that isn't true. That's or rather, cr- it is true, but the chance is incredibly low.
0: Yeah, I wonder what the GRE math scores are in these fields.
1: You want? Oh, that's an interesting question. Well, that's a uh, probably not super high. Why would they? I mean, uh, we have more important things to put people with super high. They should be doing yeah. particle physics, which will save <laughs> us all, or general relativity. Uh, or they should be quantitative. Quanti- they should be quants, right?
0: Yeah. Because
1: you know that'll in our hour of need, we'll, we'll call up them, and they'll say you know short coronavirus or something. Why couldn't
0: we listen to them? Why did the people who run hedge funds, who are you know who are quantitative oriented, just use their power to say, look, we you know it, it took us five minutes to understand what's going on because we get exponentials. This is what you guys have to do, and we're really rich, so follow us. It, um why didn't they use their political power to get us to follow a sane policy
1: i don't know if they have any uh but i mean rather they could but you know a lot of them don't seem that actually interested a lot of the time but but the closest i know is there was a guy at a hedge fund in england who was talking he was trying to convince somebody to get the british government to hire me <laughs> i thought this was unlikely and it might be very humorous before it was done yeah uh, but it didn't happen. But th- that he was doing what you were thinking. He was somebody who did have a good quantitative idea. And he was noticing that our podcast had been largely accurate, which was somehow not the case for the official advisors <laughs> to the British government and said, well, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe we could have you, I of course, I said you realize nobody would listen to me even if I was there. Uh, and also if anybody knew that somebody when listening to somebody like me, it probably caused the fall of the government anyhow. Uh, but, uh, At any rate, nothing came of it, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think a few people were thinking about it, but I don't think anything happened, Uh, uh, I mean, and and other probably more realistic possibilities were probably being talked about, but I I haven't heard of anything much like that that happened, Uh, but the virologists, the reason, I mean, the reason they think that about, you know, how can a a random forces cause something to increase 50 times, I said, well, they kind of could if the numbers involved are like, instead of being 2,000 and 50,000, they're 2 and fifty thousand, they're two and fifty.
2: Right, right.
1: There, the probability is not insignificant that something tr- truly random will happen. But you know, the law of large numbers is these things get more and more. more think of it this way: uh, uh, if if you uh, if you had no particular advantage over the house and you just start betting, what are the chances you're going to clear out a casino? they're very low. The casino has a lot more money than you do. Yeah. I've never heard of it happening. Now, what if you had a slight edge, like? you were playing roulette and you would win 50, 55% of the time instead of 50, you have some magical power. Yeah. Okay. And we we suppose in that case, I this is something I once worked out. You have, I'll use it as an example once or twice. If we give you one ship at Monte Carlo and you have that ability to get the right answer 55% of the time, mm-hmm. you have an 18% chance of clearing, of breaking the house and owning Monte Carlo Casino. If you bet optimally after that, which just means betting, making lots and lots of small bets so that your odds have a chance to uh, dominate the the very large number of bets. Uh, This is also why, you know, anybody who could really systematically beat the market, he'd end up awful rich.
0: Well, there are people who have gotten awful rich. but
1: Yeah, but most of them. I've, I remember somebody doing analysis of this and they concluded they thought they were I mean, because chance could happen too, right? Yeah. They concluded there were two guys that were reasonably confident actually could beat the market. By the way, not probably not by a whole 5%, but by something.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the two guys they talked about, one was Warren Buffett <sighs> yeah. and the other was the guy who used to run Fidelity's Magellan Fund, Peter Lynch, yeah. who had a similar wildly successful uh, career, but Anyhow, it's it's obviously not common. Uh, but uh, anyhow, the virologists they did not think we would see significant adaptive changes. They, there was an article in uh, Nature uh, Nature uh, Microbiology, you know, one of the Nature family magazines, saying, uh, "Yeah, don't expect to see anything interesting happen in terms of this thing mutating to a form that does something significantly different." They were willing to believe there would be mutations. They just thought, that they won't have much effect. This was. And I talked I, – I don't remember if we talked about it, but I did post about it at the time, which was back in March or April, and I mm-hmm. said they were morons. And they were morons. Uh, uh, that was a terrible article. I mean, they, they even gave examples of it changing in other viruses as proof that it wouldn't change.
0: Yeah, the Spanish flu was. mutated, it right?
1: Changed. It It, changed. it became right.
0: far more deadly. Over the
1: summer of 1918, yeah. Uh, but it was still similar enough that if you'd had the early form – You were generally protected from the later, more dangerous form, Mm -hmm. but, yeah, it changed. Now, in that case, we probably don't know the exact molecular details of the changes because we didn't immediately – today we do, okay? We know the exact number of changes in that uh, British version that spreads more rapidly, that's now spreading rapidly inside the United States. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: We know – now, we don't know what they all mean. I mean, you know, like you can say, I know the genetic changes, but that doesn't mean you always completely understand – uh, all the uh, all the things that flow from it. Right. But we do understand. And, and it looks like there's like four or five variants that in different places have generally more transmission because otherwise you never hear of them, right? But mm. also, what other ways have they changed? The British one is a little more dangerous. I mean, like it's 30%, but you're multiplying 30 by a, a smallish number, okay? I mean, one of the great things about this is so far its, it's uh, lethality rate and again, this depends on the population you hit, because it, most of it is among pretty old people, and so it depends how many old people you have. But it was something like a percent, and and in this, the British one, although it's early, it looks like it might be thirty, like one point three percent.
0: And this is something else a lot of people got wrong. They were insisting that the death rate was not one percent, but one one percent of one percent. I mean, there were people claiming. Well, there are, probably,
1: there are definitely places it's lower, and it may be getting lower, I mean, at least in the sense of, uh, you know, assuming that not not allowing for changes in the virus. Surely our methods of treatment have improved at least some, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, but, uh, yeah, there was another group of people who were – I still don't know what. Like with a virologist, I can explain. I said, why do they not know these two basic concepts of, uh, uh, you, know, you know, that – why you see faster evolution in something – in an environment it's not very well adapted to,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and why does this sped up when you have vast numbers of copies of it? Okay, they're not familiar with those things. Now, I don't think they're incapable of being familiar with them, but they weren't. Um, but but this other question, we had several people, some of whom had a fairly good name in, in this sort of business. Uh, John Ioannidis, uh, a, a professor at Oxford named Gupta, were saying probably – it's going to uh, in, have a very low uh, danger level per infection, and and maybe everybody's already had it. Those were both both a group around Ionides, ionides at uh, mostly at Stanford and also some other people associated with Gupta at Oxford were saying this, and it was all wrong, and it was easy to show that it was wrong instantly, but it didn't help because they and they haven't changed their mind yet. I mean Gupta is now. Cha- you know, like if you look at the total fraction number of Englishmen who have died of this and divide it by the number of people in England, she thinks the lethality rate's a lot below that. How? They've, they're already dead, but you know she hasn't changed an inch uh, and I don't think Ionidas has either. Uh, so Ionidas, they they did a couple, see they were hoping to find that lots of people already had it, but there weren't many deaths which would indicate it wasn't very dangerous. Right. Uh, And they did a study very early, was it March or something, in California, that sort of looked like that, but they'd they'd screwed up the study. One, there were so few real infections at that point that most of the things they got were accidental false positives. Okay, And the other problem was that they had accidentally recruited a lot of people because the wife of one of the persons running the study had sent out on her Facebook, if you think you have COVID, you should join us to get a free test. (laughs) That turns out not to be a totally random cross section of the people in California. Okay. <clears throat> if you're trying to find out how many people have had it, now a bit later, uh, uh, I think it was Batacharia, one of the guys associated with the uh, Ionidus on this. They did said, well, they got permission to look at Major League Baseball, all the employees, and which is at least spread out over the whole country.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they said, well, we found out what percentage of people appear to have already had had it from uh, antigen tests. 1%, which is just what everybody else is saying. It's not very common yet. They said, I can't get it. It must be common. I said, it must be common because you want it to be. Because if it were common, then the fatality rate would be low. But it isn't that low. I said, and they're still doing it, and they've never been right on anything they said, but it doesn't matter. It hasn't changed their mind. Ionidas had a, quite a name for uh, talking about how many things many studies in medicine were statistically weak which yeah, they are,
0: he, he definitely did yeah but
1: they weren't as weak as him I I've heard people arguing he's trying to prove it with his own work how useless medical studies are by doing more useless studies <laughs> I don't know what the hell's going on with him. I can't figure it out. Gupta Gupta will say things that are clearly impossible Does't matter keep saying them but but there was a simple way to know that they were wrong all along. Before you did the later tests,
2: yeah, what was that? Like, you
1: know, like the later tests, like like eventually we would say we we did some semi-random test in New York. This was like after the real peak of the spring epidemic in New York. It looked like about twenty percent of the people had had it. You see, but that's a good number because it's big enough. You know, the the rare false negatives are no longer important. Like suppose they're a quarter of a percent. You know, mm-hmm. that doesn't matter. And, you know, so it, maybe the real answer is. You know, 19.8 as opposed to 20. It doesn't really, you know, they're not enough of them to change the validity of the answer. In mm-hmm. the early days, there were, but yeah. there was another way to do it, which was, you see, with Gupta and also they were saying lots of people have already had it. I said, well, if you have a fast moving epide- up uh, and 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 maybe uh, and maybe those people, uh, you know, the test we had at first would only detect roughly speaking while you had it it wouldn't tell if you'd had it six months ago
2: mm-hmm.
1: this it was detecting the virus itself not the antibodies to the virus this was the PCR test we, that was the first one we had okay and people said well maybe lots of people have already had it and there was a simple answer to that so simple let's say the answer was simple but it wasn't as simple as Ionidas uh, the thing was if it's a fast-growing epidemic you'll suppose mm-hmm. it's doubling every week. Yeah, it's it's a little slower than that, but you know this is just for simplicity. Example, how many of the cases are older than a week?
2: Yeah, it's, yeah, older. not many. Yeah, I
1: mean like you know a full half of them are only a week old, right? Yeah. Okay, that isn't long enough. To, I mean during that period the PCR test works. So the point is if it's growing rapidly, almost the great majority of the cases are pretty new. If they're pretty new, we could detect them with PCR, but we don't. So is it true that lots of people have already had it? No. Do we need – even before we had an antigen test, I said this like 18 times, and people couldn't even understand it.
0: Maybe the thing is people don't get exponential growth. That's or just anything. beyond they them. they don't get
1: addition. Okay? I mean, I, 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 keep, this was too, I said, you have something that's growing exponentially. That means most of the cases are recent. We mm-hmm. have a test that only works on recent things. I said, yeah, that still means it's going to work on a lot of the cases because they're all recent. Yeah. It says, and what is the test finding? Not much. I said, why? It hasn't spread that – not that many people have had it. And that means that the death rate is not as low as you had hoped. And if you keep talking about it, it won't help. It's still not going to be what you want, but it didn't. These guys did not change. Uh, I mean, truthfully, you know, they weren't any better at this than Richard Epstein. Epstein was notorious because he said, because of all my knowledge of evolutionary biology, which was a hard zero, okay. He said, well, I know it just won't like it'll it'll peter out pretty soon, but it won't be 500 cases. And then on you know on the website he then he added a zero. (laughs) so he acted because he was wrong a week later, Mm -hmm. and then, remember, I told you, he'll do it again?
2: Yeah. yeah. And
1: he did. (sighs) But he did do one thing better after a while. After he was, like, publicly humiliated when somebody interviewed him and pointed out everything he'd ever said was total nonsense.
0: Ah, what did he do? He shut up. (laughs) Well...
1: A lot of people could learn from that.
0: Yeah, the beginning Um, of wisdom is silence.
1: I don't believe in his case definitely i don't believe he's posted anything since april uh so yeah that's good i mean um you know if he retired and like moved to a little island somewhere that'd probably be even better uh see i'm not vindictive. he can be really enjoying himself in the caribbean i don't care as long as he's not pushing nonsense uh but uh, uh most of these people never changed i don't quite know what was going on with them i can't figure it uh like Ionidas was talking about, well, you know, one reasonable possibility is we'll find three tenths of a percent mortality. It was more than that. Um, although that does vary according to how many old people there are. But uh, he said, maybe the total number of people infected would be 1%. And I said, what on earth would make that happen? I mean, yeah, with an infectious
0: new, disease I, I,
1: that no yeah, one is worked. immune to. That was another thing. People made up stories about that. Like this was new. So. In most cases with a new virus, how many people would you expect to be immune to it? And the answer is nobody, nobody. Now, there are cases in which it could be different. If it was extremely similar to another virus, it could be that having had that other virus could protect you. Like the famous example is cowpox and smallpox, mm-hmm. okay? That's a very useful example. Okay, was, is there any other virus that was – the closest one we know was SARS-1. How many people did it infect? We know almost exactly. Uh, about, that um, was a few thousand. I mean, no, like tens of, it was like, you know, 10,000, something like that. Uh, mostly in Hong Kong uh, and some in China. We know how many it was. We, we'd done tests to see were there a lot of other people who had antibodies we hadn't caught? And the answer is no. That's how many there was. So those people, and they were still around, that was only, you know, what, 13 years ago or something. They might be immune. I don't guarantee it, but it's close enough they might be protected against this. Mm-hmm. I said, what does that leave for the other 7-point-something billion people? People said, well, some people are just naturally immune. I said, why? This is a receptor that everybody has in their cells. I don't think we've ever seen somebody who didn't have it. What's supposed to stop it? They, and then they mumble about, well, you have the right nutrition. And I said, that's not how it works. <clears throat> I mean, we've seen cases where we have a virus that hits a population that's either never had it or say they haven't had it in a long time, so nobody alive has immunity. Uh, there was these islands north of England, the Faroe Islands. They were isolated enough that they could go a long period without measles. Back when measles was common, there was a period they hadn't had measles in 60 years. Then it got reintroduced. It infected like 85, 90 percent of the population. What was what? Why? What were the? What was special about the people who were not infected? Mostly they had were old and had gotten it the first time. But there was actually an interesting subcategory. You see, the old, a lot of those old people remembered exactly how it was spread, didn't like it, and when it showed up, they basically hid their grandkids in the basement. There were a few people, you know, knowledge. By the way, this was during a period in which officially doctors did not believe that any disease was infectious. <laughs> but these old people knew that it, that this one damn well was. Uh, but uh, at any rate, the uh, uh so, yeah, the virologists. I think we can understand is they were simply never taught and have not lived through an example. Like I would bet that the next time we have a brand-new virus, assuming we don't wait till these guys have retired,
2: mm-hmm.
1: some a fair number of them will remember this time and say, yeah, I guess it might change. But, you see, we have this other method for learning things. It's sort of obscure, probably not as used as much, but it's called read a book. Yeah. You don't have to live it. Uh, like, we don't, hopefully, we don't have to fight World War II every generation just to remember not to do it. We could say, uh, I read about it. It sounds bad. Let's avoid it. Uh, but I'll tell you, I don't think that people anywhere in the world want to avoid it as much as a lot of people who went through it did. Yeah. Now they're, they're mostly gone now. I mean, back in the 50s and 60s, heads of states had – most of them had been there, and they weren't real eager to do it again.
0: Yeah, it probably played a role in why the Cuban Missile Crisis wasn't even worse, that Khrushchev didn't want to have World War III.
1: Well, worse – yes, because at that point we had 14 times as many nuclear weapons as they did. But yes, mm. but Khrushchev, Khrushchev had served at Stalingrad. I mean, yeah. you know, he, he knew it wasn't you know fun and games. And, uh, uh, you know, Kennedy was younger, but he, even he had, you know, been hurt in, you know, fighting World War II. He knew it wasn't a game, uh, you know, when his PT boat was run over. Uh, but, uh, uh, anyhow, uh, back to some of these things. Uh, the, uh, uh, we talked about the virologist. Mm -hmm. We talked, and by the way, you know, institutions that were full of these public health people they gave bad advice the cdc i mean it wasn't just a few people in a journal saying don't use masks the cdc was saying masks didn't work who the world health mm-hmm. organization they were against it both of them were uh like when uh you know people early were talking about trying to do some sort of border controls
2: mm-hmm.
1: who was against them
2: yes the CDC was
1: against them No, uh i think they have a role but it's it's you know, the people say it will eventually get through. There, like, there's two things you can get from border controls. Now, if you're, you know, New Zealand, you can probably get a lot because not that many people go there anyhow,
2: okay? Mm-hmm.
1: It's harder if you have lots of boundaries that people routinely cross. But there are two things you can get from them. You can slow it down a little in when it originally gets is coming, and that may give you some time to prepare. Now, I can't think of any place in the Western world that did very much preparing, but you could have. Mm-hmm. You could have said, uh, well, we're really going to get a test ready. We might get ready to frequently test. Interestingly enough, that's how some of these places like Australia and South Korea dealt with it. Like we'll, we'll test people, we'll test their contacts, and if it starts to spread, we'll jump on it while it's still small and where that's easier to do. And I have – although it's actually possible even with a large number of people infected and nowhere do I see this – I mean not – I see no one in the United States – Who wanted to do this? Nobody who advocates it. I mean, no politician.
0: It's It's weird because our cell phones almost certainly track everywhere we go, and that's what they use. Though that was a big part of the
1: story uh, in South Korea.
0: But we're mostly okay with that, and yet,
1: are we? Well, I mean, I I personally am perfectly okay with it. That's because I don't have a cell phone. (laughs) I mean, it could track you all day. I don't care. Uh, (laughs) If you like it, I mean, you must. Uh, But. But the point is, there there was a that that aspect of possible ways to control it. Nobody made the slight – They don't even talk about it. Uh, no, no politician, neither party that I've ever heard has talked about <clears throat> doing what South Korea made work.
2: Yeah.
1: I don't know why. But but one of the, anyhow the two points. One is you can if you slow down the time in which there's a lot of cases in the country, it could give you some time to prepare in various ways. That could be a good thing. And also, you know, every bit of time you delay is time that you, you're developing a vaccine. I mean, yeah. if you delay, I mean, the actual time it takes to make a vaccine is like, what, nine months or something, right? Or probably a little better. I will, we'll go to that in a minute, but it's probably, if, you know, we didn't do badly on that. We speeded it up from the normal course, but we could have done a bit better.
2: Yeah.
1: With challenge trials. And I'll let you talk about that. I think you've thought about it more than I have. But the, uh, uh, other thing you can do with border controls is let's suppose you had you were controlling it fairly well, as is most of East Asia and Australia and so forth, which is your and you're monitoring it. And when you see a case, you quickly sweep in, isolate people, keep it from spreading. That's easier to do if there aren't many cases.
2: Right.
1: I, I call it metastable. It's like fighting fire, fighting. Uh, fires in California if you have a few small fires you can step on them before they multiply if they ever got two at some point if they got big enough you'd have to say that's it we can't do it we have the fire is bigger than the number of firemen we have we can't we can't stop it mm-hmm. okay but if you but the point is if you have border controls you have fewer cases leaking in so test and trace is easier
0: right yeah, it, it, those
1: are the two advantages.
0: Um, to talk about challenge trials, I've kind of I'm now uncertain whether they would have done a lot of good. So the the idea of a, a challenge trial is that you you know you deliberately in, infect people and you randomize treatment or you randomize who you get infected and you randomize treatment and then you can get you know quick data on how safe things are. But I someone made a good argument that if you know the virus is expanding in some areas, you don't need challenge trials. You just go to those areas. And you know you you uh, vaccinate people and you, know, you it always takes longer.
1: It always takes longer to wait for it to randomly happen than if you just do it the moment you want to do it. Uh, but I, is I mean, it, is not there a
0: big difference if you were to, if you were in New York City when it was exploding and you were to we, vaccinate we, a whole you, bunch of people?
1: We, you have to look at the actual timeline. The time at which the vaccines existed in large enough numbers to be tested on enough people is basically the summer, and there mm. weren't as many cases in a lot of places. And but you you wouldn't have had to wait till the fall as much as you did. I mean, I estimate you would have saved – not you wouldn't have saved on order of magnitude. You might have saved a couple of months, but a couple of months is a good thing, okay? I mean, if we'd saved a couple of months in getting widespread distribution of vaccines, you know I would probably only saved you know 200,000 people.
0: Trump would have been reelected,
1: possibly. Uh,
0: so and no one did challenge trials. Um, I mean, that's
1: the other thing is. I was saying in the whole Western world, no one has, I don't really see test and trace really being done anywhere. And no one did challenge trials,
0: even in China and Russia. No are one. Or si- Singapore, no one. why? I mean.
1: I don't know. If Singapore developed their own vaccine, but there were, uh, by the way, one of the other things that people got wrong says, well, who it says it'll take years to get a vaccine? And the answer is, uh, there are two, uh, like, suppose I was going to try to build, uh, let's say, a nuclear power plant. Now, there are two different elements to how long it takes to build it. One is I have to, you know, I have to do a little planning. I have to have engineers and architects. I have to buy concrete and, you know, dig holes for the foundation and pour the concrete and put the pieces together. And you can do all of that in, I don't know, six months, because we did in World War II, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Then there are, well, then there are the lawsuits and the, uh, the people, the people objecting because they don't want it built in their backyard, and, the, uh, uh, and, and that's the part that takes eight years, okay? Well, vaccines are a little bit like that. The actual physical time it takes uh, to do a vaccine and test it was probably two months less than we spent. But the typical time people were taking was five times more because people would say, well, I don't know. I think I have a question. Let's go back. You know, there was no urgency about it. There was a lot of bureaucracy. There were a lot of useless hoops you had to jump through. You would have people changing their mind about whether they wanted to spend money on it. In this one, there was plenty of money, and most of the useless bureaucratic things, not all, but most of them were put to the side. Mm-hmm. Uh, or another analogy is uh, like we had a fire on some sort of assault ship that was probably arson, you know. and they said, yeah, but it would take five years to fix it so we decided to scrap it that was just a recent thing in san diego i said but i remember when we had uh, a carrier that had japanese bombs that put holes in the deck and blown up the uh, so forth and and, we, and and by the way we 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 got it it didn't sink it was the yorktown we got it in pearl harbor they said well it's probably going to take 90 days to fix they hadn't realized they could have stretched it out to 6 years and then they said sorry guys we need it in a battle in 4 days i said okay well sure we can do that they said, if you want, if you really want to fix it, well, that's entirely different. So they fix it enough to win in three days. So there's a lot of things we do like that, which is one reason that almost any public construction in the United States costs uh, something like on the order of five to ten times more than it does in, say, Germany. If we wanted to build a road or a dam or a public building, is because we have immense amounts of time wasted by grifters.
0: Yeah, it was rent seeking people.
1: Here, we didn't have too much of that, uh, but but we still... We didn't push it as hard as we did if we had thought, you know, the uh, challenge trials probably would have saved a little bit of time, I a, a month, two months. Although, uh, that,
0: if you start making the vaccine before you know if it's safe or not...
1: We could have done that.
0: Well, then it, you uh, don't, the challenge trials don't give you as much because it's not causing you to start manufacturing earlier.
1: Uh, they still... I mean... People didn't really feel safe and distributed. Look, there have been rare cases when vaccines went pretty bad. You have to test them at least some. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, another reason we were likely to succeed, I saw – you must have saw it, seen many people. Who knows? They would say it would take years, yeah. etc. And some of these were professional epidemiologists because, see, they don't actually know the actual details of what – I mean, I was fooled some. I thought it might take a year. Mm-hmm. But in real life, the real time it takes is, I don't know, six months. Okay. But I wasn't fantastic. I wasn't as – I mean, I am not – I was never wrong enough that I could have been the chief epidemiologist for Sweden. You have to be a lot more wrong in order to become an official type person.
2: Uh,
1: And he was saying, oh, it'll take years for a vaccine. A, we were pushing these uh, uh, unnecessary crap to the side. There was plenty of money. And you know how many different efforts – you're going to be hearing. I mean, you know, you know, some others are coming out soon. Right. You know how many, how many different efforts I heard of worldwide, like oh. over 140. <laughs> and because you know, this is this is not as expensive as uh, I me mean, developing it isn't terribly expensive. It's not like something where you have to. It's not like we were building Boulder Dam or something. It's just not. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so uh, it was. This increased the likelihood that at least some of them would work well. And also increase the likelihood some of them would get done earlier. If uh, in fact there's a bit of a race. I mean, if people are saying, "Well, I, you know, there's no real hurry. It'll be a year's." But if you notice the other guy's going to have one that actually sort of works early, you have to find ways to go faster. I mean, if you're commercial, and even if you're not, I mean, who who will want it if if we've already got five that work? You know, I mean, there are people doing wrinkles that they hope like there are you know some room for improvement like people say this one doesn't have to be refrigerated that's good or this one can work with one shot you know if you can do that and not be refrigerated that's good if you could say there are other ones people working on that says this one will also be a flu shot oh, that's
2: yeah. okay
1: uh i mean you know there are people trying to make positive wrinkles on it but uh at any rate it was never uh the, one of the things people were sort of saying was uh uh we'll never get it done in time so there's no point in trying to con- uh, in trying to uh, limit the spread in the meantime because, you know, we, we can't control it that long. But there was another way people said it, which is I don't want them to try to control it, so I will tell them that the vaccine mm-hmm. is going to take five years because then they'll give up. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but most of those people weren't lying because they didn't know enough to ever know what the truth was. So I will give them credit for that.
0: <laughs> what are the chances that the virus is going to mutate so that our vaccines won't work?
1: That's already happened at least some. Uh But well, but there's different degrees of working. This is something you need to know specifically what somebody means. If you say like, if you if a vaccine if 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 the uh, the new variant is different enough that although the vaccine makes it unlikely you have a very severe case, it doesn't keep you from catching it.
2: Mm-hmm. That
1: doesn't mean the vaccine was useless. I mean, right. the most there are two things you can do, and both are of value. But the greatest one is if you make sure nobody gets nobody dies from it. That's mm-hmm. that's real good. Now, the second very valuable, but not quite as valuable thing, is if uh, you don't spread it much. Uh, And apparently, this South African variant is both. I mean, essentially, every new variant has to have greater transmission, or how else would it ever become common, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. But the question is do they have other effects? Apparently, this South African variant gets past, to some extent, people who have already had it. I mean, it gets past immune defenses to some extent. But I haven't heard that it's causing deadly cases in those people. So, for example, if you catch it again, but it's not too, doesn't make you too sick, that's unfortunate. And it might still be that you'll transmit it to somebody else who's never had it, who it would be dangerous to. But it's a you know it doesn't mean at this point, from what we know, that the vaccines are generally useless. Also, it, also there's several different vaccines. Some of them apparently work better against this than others. But but that's the question. The question is. Uh, uh, are we going? See, we're going to see more of that because in the early stages, the vast majority of people have never had it, and the way that a, a, a variant gets advantage is by spreading faster, just that. Mm-hmm. But after a while, there's a new challenge, which is lots of people already have some resistance. Then you're selecting not just for increased transmission, but increased transmission among people who may have some antibodies to it. Right. Is this and so. The South African version is, I think, the first one I know where that's that is being seen. I haven't heard anything. I mean, I know it has to spread faster, or we would never have heard of it. I don't. I there's pretty good evidence it gets past immune defenses to some extent. I haven't seen anything about this South African variant about whether it's more or less deadly. I mean, it's. I can safely say it's not tremendously. Different, or people would have talked about it a lot. I mean, if it never killed anybody, people would say so. And if it killed five times as many, they would say they'd be talking about it. But I haven't heard anything about changes in deadliness. In the UK version, it is somewhat more deadly, all else equal. Mm -hmm. Uh, But but you know, there's no abs. uh, You know, but that, that that extra deadliness is probably kind of an accidental side effect of increased trend of the same things that cause increased transmission. There's some reports that basically you just you know the number of viruses per you know uh, per square inch of your throat or whatever is just a lot higher. And you can see how that would help spread it, but it also could easily make you sicker.
0: Let me ask on our first podcast on, on COVID. I asked you a question. Let me ask you the same version. I said, "What's the 10 percent worst case scenario?" So, what would you say the 10 percent worst case scenario is for say two years from now?
1: Well, you know, we know more. Uh, things have happened. The possibilities have become. Fewer. I mean, you know, the I'd say the, the spectrum of possibilities is narrower. Uh, I mean, with what I know now, I think, you know, it's nothing is going to be as good uh, as we once hoped it would be because it's already worse than that. Okay, in the United mm-hmm. States, uh, I don't think we're going to get to the point where we have. Uh, you know, like I was estimating that uh, with your typical models of how many people get infected with this degree of R naught, assuming we did nothing at all. We would have had, you know, 80% of the population affected, or something, and something like uh, two something million would have died. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think at this point it's probably not going to be worse than a third of that. Mm. With my fingers crossed against new variants. The new variants aren't totally predictable. Uh, I mean, like this, uh, you know, this British variant, it's worse, but it's not a whole lot worse, and also vaccines seem to work on it. But let's suppose we had variant X. I mean, it's hard to know. I mean, like, could you have a? What if you had a variant that spread, uh, you know, an, enough faster than the competition that, but it, it had a five percent lethality? I said it's not impossible because historically there's, I mean, uh, SARS one had an eight percent lethality. There was another thing related virus called MERS, which apparently was something originally from camels. It had a thirty percent lethality. I mean, I mean, people are saying, "Well, this thing can't get more virulent because it wouldn't spread as well." I said, "It's not very virulent. If it was twice as virulent, it would still not be very very, very virulent. If it was five times as virulent, it would still not be very, very very virulent." As these, you know, compared to one hundred percent. But, or you know, what if it changed in some way that it caused the same number of things, but it deaths, but they were among young people. I think that'd be much worse. But it is. You know, I don't know how to predict. I know that selection is going to favor transmission, but transmission means changes, and those changes can cause different effects. Like, we know that in 1918, actually, somebody probably has an estimate, but I would guess that the lethality must have at least doubled uh, from, uh, you know, when you had the later version of the 1918 flu. Mm Mm-hmm. Because the 19 flu was a lot worse than the average flu, but the original version didn't really look much worse. You know, the very first cases they had in uh, June or whatever. Uh, uh, so I think it was probably two or three times more lethal. But I don't know. The, I'm not sure anybody has. Uh, I mean, somebody's probably done an estimate, but I haven't read it. Uh, but, you know, but and one other thing which is worth doing, the cost is small compared to all the money we spent on this. It's worth buying enough vaccine for everybody on earth why because it'd be like a few billion
0: do we need to force people to take the vaccine
1: that's a problem i mean there might be people who won't i mean there's going to be a lot of that will be a problem i mean like when you have a when you have these variants that have higher propagation you then to really shut it down you need a higher fraction of the population has to get immune
2: right
1: uh i mean with some of these speedier variants, it might take 90% of the people to be either have had a vaccination or already had the virus. If you have a lot of people refusing, it means I guess they'll have to catch it. And if we ever want it to stop, uh, yeah, people are being – well, I mean, like who has been pretty irrational on this? I said, well, most average people didn't know much about it. I mean, and by average people, I mean everybody other than specialists. And the specialists were routinely wrong – on important points, uh, and I mean stubbornly wrong. Re- you know, uh, like there's places like, you know, the reason that people were taking some of the odd path they did in um, Sweden was they saying, well, you know, there's no point; it can't be stopped. And you could say, but they stopped it in, you know, these eight countries. So, well, they don't count. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know why. They, they, they were people. That's what was the real motive. Tegnell is sticking to what he learned in school and then people are crazy enough to listen to it. Now, mind you, I don't think their outcome is that much work, worse than the U.S. per capita, probably about the same, but part of it is because you know Sweden is actually a place that is is—it's easier to avoid. You don't have as much population concentration, and you probably don't – like one thing we had, which not everywhere it has, we had people catching it in the air conditioning phase of the summer when people mm-hmm. were indoors. There is no such phase in Sweden. <laughs> in uh, so, uh, I mean, there, like one of the things that makes this complicated is that, you know, like if you have a real simple model, the models just work by saying how many people are infected and how many people are uninfected and therefore candidates to be infected. And then the third thing is how many new cases does each case create. But here we have other things going on. I mean, some of them are not utterly unknown. I mean, weather matters some. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's happened in other epidemics. but. Well, one of the things that matters a lot is how scared people are at a given moment. Like, you know, people are always talking, well, we have these lockdown policies, but what actually matters is not the official policies, it's what people actually end up doing. There are places where people had a policy to do X and nobody obeyed it. There are other places where they supposedly had a policy and then everybody was afraid to go to the grocery store anyhow. So it's a question of, but the point is, and it changes. Like, one thing that's happened repeatedly, just people would say, Well, it really went up and then it really went down. It must be that it's it's over in this area. I said, Uh no, it isn't because not many people were affected. They said, Well, what happened then? I said, People got scared. Human action, uh, human response is is wildly uh torquing the way this thing spreads and doesn't spread. I mean, not only do they get scared, then they get bored later. So You know, so one of the fact, like, what were the factors that made it reduce in New York City? Well, one is more people got infected. More people were now immune, but the number that immune never got to be real high. It was like 20, 25%. What was the extra factor? People were scared into doing different things. Uh, And I saw people who were said, Oh, but I saw this curve. It must be that, you know, the thing has burnt out. Everybody's infected. I said, No, the people got scared. So that's why we can have it temporarily stop when only 20% are infected.
0: Hello, everyone. I had a bit of audio difficulty at the very end, and Greg and I were about to finish anyways, so uh, sorry for the abrupt ending of the podcast. Uh, Greg, I want to thank you very much for coming on my podcast for the eighth time to discuss COVID, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Goodbye.